A lot of photographers are carrying these big zoom lenses. I can do more with an 18mm than you can do with a 24 to 105. Welcome to the RGGEDU podcast, where Rob and Gary talk and drink ale with your favorite photographers. This podcast is brought to you by Sakonic, where being a professional means being consistent with your exposure, no matter the situation. Sakonic light meters not only help photographers and filmmakers get it right in camera, they help them create a consistent style and save hours of post-production time. Head to Sakonic.com to learn more about their collection of time-saving tools and to see how they can help you become the professional you're meant to be. In this episode, we're joined with Ian Robinson, who is a creative director and motion graphics instructor, or MGI. MGI. MGI CD. That's what your business card says, yeah? Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> if it doesn't, it will now. Yeah. <laughs> so, Ian, you've been uh, teaching all week at NAB. Uh, what sort of classes do you teach? What are you, what are you getting into? Yeah, my, my specialty, while it's motion graphics, my specialty is Adobe After Effects uh, and Cinema 4D. So uh, this week was a three-day boot camp all intensive hands-on training for people to get up and running in Adobe After Effects. And that program confuses the hell out of me. So <laughs> when, when people take a three-day class, do they leave like pretty, pretty good, pretty comfortable? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's a lot of trying to make sure we don't um, feed them from the fire hose, if you will. Like yeah. It's, yeah. Well, it's so much information. Painful. Yeah. You really have to kind of spoon feed things in a way that isn't overwhelming. And uh, you definitely want to, you know, show people something and then give them time to actually work through the tools to get somewhat comfortable in it and make the mistakes that you know they're going to make when they get back to their place. So you're there and you can help them with that. I think, honestly, the biggest challenge with After Effects is just being aware of where you're clicking and why you're clicking it. Because every little part of the interface has a function. And, you know, like if you want to copy paste something, whether you have an effect selected or you have the layer selected or you have nothing selected makes a huge difference as to what you're actually copying and pasting. Yeah. And those little things are are the gotchas that, uh, you know, kind of trip people up mm-hmm. when they first get started. So let's back up. How did you make your way into the industry? How did you become a motion graphics instructor? Yeah. So um, I'm uh, based out of the Washington, D.C. area, and uh, I took a job at a post house. And I, I went the – I call it the old school route now because, you know, the, the days of the ginormous post house are, are not quite what they were. Right. Um, and so when I got in, I was just thankful to even get any kind of job. So I took a job in the mailroom and I worked in the mailroom for a few months. And then I got a job in duplication, uh, which actually, you know, in the dinosaur days, there was actual tape involved. And you would what, actually have to yeah, like splice. What's duplication? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Seriously? Yeah, no. Yeah. So uh, whenever somebody would cut a commercial, you cut a commercial on a specific format of tape and then they would have to dub that tape to other formats based on the television station that was broadcasting oh. it. So let's say it was going out to 21 news stations across the Eastern seaboard. Then you would basically make 21 dubs of that and then send 21 copies. Physical out. copies. Yeah. 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 It was glamorous work. I tell you, it was, I love VHS. It was <laughs> <laughs> totally. It's very modern. <laughs> yes. Yes. They, there was actually a two inch machine and a one inch machine and the two inch machine, uh, basically the tape, whenever you would fire it up, it sounded like a, a jet engine starting and it was That's cool. Yeah. It was pretty amazing. Um, <laughs> That's that what a dryer it. sounds like here. Totally. So anyway, uh, I, I started there, I was just thankful to be in the post house. And eventually, you know, one of the gentlemen that was a senior editor there uh, had gone to the same university that I had gone to. And he had known the program that I had gone through and I had been recommended with a couple other people. So uh, when the opportunity presented itself, he said, would you like to be an assistant editor? And I said, yes, I would love to be an assistant editor. And at the time, since everything was linear, uh, being an assistant editor required going out of the room and changing tapes. And then if you weren't changing tapes, you were trying to anticipate what the editor was doing and maybe creating type in the Chiron. And then I know I'm really dating myself <laughs> here, but that's okay. Oh, yeah. What the heck is a Chiron? <laughs> yeah. Chiron it's, like, it's like kryptonite. Yeah. <laughs> it was a machine that basically did nothing but generated text. So text for video. So oh. when they would edit, they would roll the tape and then you would have a switcher 
that you would just switch whether the text was on or off. And so the Chiron would actually be generating the text all the time, and then you would switch it, and it would come on, and you would actually see it, wow. and then they would switch it off. Yeah. It was very manual. Do you miss it? There's got to be some nostalgia about it. Like, oh, remember the Chiron? <laughs> it would jam, and I'd cuss. <laughs> yeah, a little, a little bit. A little bit. Sorry, I keep knocking the table. Um, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, I miss the nostalgia of just the camaraderie of being in an edit suite with a bunch of people trying to knock out spots or commercials or programs. Um, being in the D.C. area, obviously, we had a fair amount of political commercials mm-hmm. and things where uh, the most tense situation I had was um, I was an assistant and the the editor was editing and he had to output the spot and he literally just finished watching the spot down. It was a 30-second spot. He watched it from beginning to end, and then he said, okay, and I hit this one button, and it was the router that routed it to the satellite uplink, and basically, you had to pay money for the satellite uplink, and you only had X amount of time for that window to go open, and basically, what would happen is the satellite field feed would send the spot out, and then all the people at the other stations would download the spot and be recording it onto their system. So it was instead of having to FedEx a tape, it was uh, an expensive way to actually get the media out before the internet, obviously. Yeah. Uh, the internet was there, but it wasn't nearly fast enough. So mm-hmm. they would do the uplink. So anyway, um, the entire day he was just working hard to get the cut done. And basically he watched it, barely watched it down. And then he had to lay one more graphic in and we didn't have time to watch it all the way back down. So he laid the graphic in and then he just played it out in real time as the satellite uplink was going, just prayed that it was exactly what it was. And it was. And so the client was excited and I was excited. And then uh, we could take a breath and that was it until, you know, a half hour later and the next client came in. So, yeah. So anyway, Long story short, I worked my way up through a post house, and most of it had to do with the relationships that I had with the people at the post houses. So I worked at one large post house, then I moved to another one. Um, And then I went through the situation that I think a lot of people went through when the post houses were downsizing because of the democratization of post-production tools. And so I got laid off with a bunch of other people, and literally that was the best day of my life. I got laid off. I was horrified. Um, and one of my friends was talking to his girlfriend who happened to work at national geographic and she was in a meeting and they said, yeah, you know, we really need to do this, uh, after effects thing. Do you guys know anyone? And since they had talked at lunch about the fact that I had gotten laid off, she said, yeah, I think I know someone. So literally by that afternoon, I had my first job and then I called my friend Robbie and he had office space down the street. So got laid off at like 10 a.m. And then at 1.30 that afternoon, I had office keys and my first gig. That's that awesome. doesn't happen. Yeah. Like that, that doesn't happen to anybody. <laughs> Nobody gets laid off and three hours later, they have you a new know office. a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> it was weird. But yeah. I, I attribute that to Stroke just... Stroke of fortune. Yes. Yeah. Definitely luck. I feel I'm, I'm not religious at all, but I think the proper term is blessed. You know, I, I, feel, yeah. I feel blessed with that. But um, I, I was very lucky that that happened. But I also attribute it to... You know, paying the dues of being in the post house and being friends with all these people. And so, you know, over time, people end up moving on and going different places. And as long as you are a normal, you know, well-adjusted human being, you do a good job of keeping those connections up. Then when things like this happen, hopefully you have the friends and the network to be able to, you know, continue on and and provide for yourself and, and kind of keep going. So, you know. I try and return that favor to anybody I can as I continue going on. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, basically I worked in the post industry for a long time and just kind of networked as best I could. And then when I was out there sort of on my own, thankfully, uh, you know, things sort of ended up that way. And then I just sort of kept, kept it going. I bounced around. I went back to Discovery Channel for a little while. I was an art director there with some amazingly talented people. And the way I got in there was, again – Another friend from a post house who had worked there as a freelancer. She was moving to Los Angeles. She recommended me. I ended up over there. So again, very lucky and and happy to be that way. Sure. But but yeah, relationship building is what it all is about. It really yeah. is, honestly. And as long as you you know uh, stay on top of your tools and actually can deliver, you know what you say you're going to deliver, and you're not being a tool, then, you know, that's, that's a good thing. Use the tools. Don't be the tools. <laughs> that's right? That's sound <laughs> advice. Sage, Sage advice. wisdom. 
That's right. So how have you seen After Effects um, evolve? Like, Yeah. So this, I'm so glad you asked that question. You have no idea. So <laughs> um, when I was at uh, one of the post houses, basically we had at the front, uh, we had uh, Quantel systems, which were amazing. They had uh, a Henry and a paint box. Quantel systems are uh, expensive systems. They're awesome. They do what they do really well. Hardware and software are all accelerated. But at the time, again, I call it the democratization of, of post-production. You know, the tools were getting less and less expensive. The PCs were getting faster. And then instead of having to spend a ton of money on an Avid, you could spend a lot less money on, you know, a personal PC and get, you know, like Final Cut and some other tools and things like that. But before Final Cut, After Effects was really starting to make a name for itself in terms of being able to create some complex graphics without necessarily having to spend a ton of money to create it. It's, um, its fault was just its lack of speed. You know, when you compare it to a flame or a, or a Quantel box or something like that, they could achieve these effects exponentially faster. That was back then. Now the speed difference is minimal. I mean, yes, the flames and all those things are still ridiculously fast. But if you're a really good, talented After Effects artist and you know how to plan ahead and you kind of can work with things, then, you know, it's it's a very good, affordable alternative. Definitely. So in, in addition to After Effects, do you also, you know, really learn and understand Premiere? Are you a Final Cut guy since I heard you mention that? Yeah. So actually, I, I did a year when I was freelance. Uh, my specialty was After Effects, but obviously when Final Cut kind of exploded into the scene, um, there was a call for people that were Final Cut certified or Final Cut editors to actually run the boxes because people were like, hey, I could buy four Final Cut systems or I could buy one Avid system, right? So uh, I got referred to a gig where I was doing political offline edits. So all the edits that you would have in a focus group, uh, I would go do that. So anyhow, uh, I did that for a year and was primarily an editor for a year, which I enjoyed. I have since switched to Premiere and I did that when Apple did the Final Cut 10 transition while Final Cut 10 is an excellent tool, it just wasn't what the industry needed at the time in terms of the ability to lay things to tape and digitize from tape and all that sort of stuff. They've since fixed that in this most recent you know, version, but I think Apple's done a lot of things that a lot of professionals have not necessarily been happy with over the last couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is an interesting situation for me because I actually worked for Apple for five years. Um, in Northern Virginia, uh, the first ever Apple retail store was the Tyson's Corner store. So it opened there, and then three hours later, they opened the one in California. So it was interesting. I was in the first round of hires of part-time people to work at the Apple retail store. And so I was doing that at night and working at the post house during the day because I just really enjoyed the tools and wanted to learn Final Cut. So... Um, yeah, basically, having gone through all of that, uh, I have a love for Apple and Apple products because uh, they've always been there for me, and it's always done an extraordinarily good job. Uh, I always knew if I spent the money, you know, I'd have that machine for three to five years, and you know, I'd have friends burning through PCs like every year and a half, two years. It's not as much the case anymore, but you know, now if I go to look for a MacBook Pro, it's got 16 gigs of RAM max. I can't get 32 gigs in a laptop. If I want, you know, to do Octane Render Engine in Cinema 4D, it's an NVIDIA graphics card. I can't get that in a Mac laptop. So like those kinds of things are really frustrating a lot of yeah. professionals. And obviously I know you guys have read it and all that sort of stuff in terms of the the backlash with that, but uh it it still kind of continues. I know they've addressed the Mac Pro Gary's desktop. Gary's written half but... the backlash, actually. <laughs> I, I'm a big source of, uh, let's say, open letters. We even did a, a – we rewrote Goodnight Moon and uh, did a whole commercial on uh, Goodnight Pros. I mean, nice. Well, how do you like the dongles? Yeah, actually, I was joking <laughs> with a friend about that, saying I want to make a T-shirt with silhouettes of dongles and just have the Apple logo around the outside of it. <laughs> And that's it. You know, it's like Apple user dongles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you also have a ton of classes on uh, Linda. Yes, sir. Yep. What, uh, how did you make that transition into teaching on that platform? So um, 
I, I hate to keep going back to the post house thing. The large post house I worked for, it was called Henninger Media Services. And they're still around um, and they do wonderful work. Uh, but at the time in the late 90s, they had Henninger Education Center. And they had a certified AVID training facility and they had um, Adobe training and that sort of stuff. And um, remember how I was saying how as After Effects got faster, people were starting to realize that they could get motion graphics out of After Effects instead of having to spend several hundred dollars an hour for a larger, a larger box, especially if they had slower turnaround times. In conjunction with that, then a lot of broadcasters started coming to education centers and saying, hey, do you have anybody who can actually teach After Effects or teach Photoshop? Because honestly, a lot of people weren't even using Photoshop. They were using Paintbox. And so the first thing – I don't game, even know Paintbox. Yeah, I don't know Paintbox. Yeah. Who made that? Quantel. So, I don't even know Quantel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Quantel Paintbox. Yeah, Quantel Paintbox. Came on a floppy. Yeah, no, no, no. Before floppy. Several, yeah, several hundred thousand dollars. It was hardware and software, but everything, uh -huh. everything was raster. So if it was standard definition, everything was standard definition, whatever it was. But it, it was, uh, it was a really good, fast way of creating still graphics. And then they had a, an expansion of that, the Quantel Henry, which uh, had video layers, but again, everything was raster. Like everything that ha everything had to be within the specific uh, pixel dimensions of broadcast video. So um, Discrete at the time had Flame. I believe it was Discrete that owned them at the time. Now they're Autodesk, obviously. But um, Flame allowed for graphics that was larger than raster. And they were, again, hardware and software solutions, still very expensive. But um, Photoshop was still there, but it just, it, 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 yeah, it was just one of those things that a lot of larger broadcast post facilities were starting to integrate into their workflow. So the first job that I got instructing was teaching Photoshop for video editors. So I was teaching video editors how to scan in slides, and the slides contained logos, and they would basically use Photoshop to cut a mat for the logo. So when they put the logo up with the alpha transparency, uh, they would actually have that. So I taught that, and then I started teaching After Effects courses and After Effects, you know, how to integrate After Effects into your daily workflow and all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, I started teaching at Henniger Education Center, and then there were a bunch of other education centers around that started hiring me. And then I started doing consulting, uh, teaching directly to, you know, corporations and business and things like that. Uh, and I still do a fair amount of that work uh, to this day. So, how much is Photoshop really being used these days compared to After Effects? Because After Effects it seems it's kind of taken over, like far and away, done everything Photoshop could do for the motion graphics, but a thousand times better. Yeah. So the way I teach Photoshop and the way I view After Effects is After Effects is Photoshop over time. Okay. So all the same tools that you're used to in Photoshop, um, a lot of the a lot of the same tools. I won't say all. A lot of the same tools in Photoshop are in After Effects. But there are things in Photoshop that After Effects can't necessarily do. And Photoshop can open video clips and you can apply any mm -hmm. Photoshop filter to a video clip and output it and all that sort of stuff, right? Um, so it's still it's still kind of six of one, half a dozen another. And honestly, when I'm training people in motion graphics, not specifically After Effects, one of the things I do is try and encourage them to use the other applications like Photoshop and Illustrator for the tools that they actually have that are better than After Effects for those things. For example, I could import a graphic into After Effects and I could cut an alpha channel for that graphic in After Effects using the pen tool, right? Mm -hmm. So when you use the pen tool on a still graphic in After Effects, that's great. But the problem is it's over time, right? So I've got this mat that I've cut with a pen tool. So every time I move that graphic, as the frames are loading, into the render, it's going, okay, I've got this large graphic and there's a mask applied to it. And this is its position, scale, rotation, opacity, whatever. And then it does the same thing over and over again for every single frame. So if I have five things that I've cut mats for with masks in After Effects, I'm slowing down my render time. Whereas if I've just gone into After, if I've just gone into Photoshop and literally just cut the mat and made a transparent layer inside of Photoshop, and then saved it as a, either a layered Photoshop file with all the layers that I'm dealing with mm -hmm. or save that as like a TIFF with an alpha transparency, it's going to process faster because it's not trying to compute the mask for every single frame and every single transform. So 
yeah, it's still a wonderful tool, especially um, an, another good use is pre-visualization. Rather than having to create storyboards and After Effects, you can still go into Photoshop. And if you're a competent Photoshop artist, you can create still frames relatively quickly uh, inside of Photoshop. The X factor with that is when you get into plugins like filters and effects and things like that, then a lot of times people will still generate their boards out of After Effects because they'll have filters and effects that they wouldn't have inside their Photoshop version. So, and then of course there's like a generational difference in terms of <laughs> dinosaurs like myself that have right. always, you know, done that sort of stuff. But um, uh, yeah, it's, it's really interesting to see how different people use it. But to, to answer your question with motion graphics, I try and encourage people to use what I call the holy trinity of Adobe motion graphic applications, <laughs> which is Photoshop, Illustrator, and After Effects. Got it. And now I have a soft spot for Character Animator as well. So I saw know, that being that debuted stuff. at NAB, or not debuted, but just demonstrated at NAB. Yeah. What'd you think? Uh, kind of blew me away a little bit. <laughs> yeah. is that, going back to what you said, the democratization of all of these tools, making it more accessible. Mm-hmm. Before that, I think, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but before this program, being able to do that, pretty hard yeah 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 definitely yeah uh, I, I have a dear friend who who does amazing character animations and one of the videos that he did that was viral was just a, like a time lapse record of him rigging his uh his character models and as he's rigging the model he's just recording you know like a frame every you know couple seconds or whatever but playing it back over 10 minutes you could see that it took him like half an hour or an hour or two hours to like rig this character with all these different controls so he could actually get to animate it. And now in character animator, what's awesome to go back to the Photoshop thing, uh, you can open a template of a character and it has all the layers already broken out and they're already labeled properly. So all you have to do is just delete what was there. And then, or if you're starting with an empty one, just add, you know, like left arm goes on this layer, right arm goes on this layer. And then when you save it and bring it into Character Animator, it already knows if it's labeled the proper way, it already rigs everything up for you. So it's it's literally like cheating, right? <laughs> you just make it and you put it in, it's like done. And so it shows your it shows uh, it shows your face, and wherever you move your face or your eyebrows, it's already rigged. Like yeah. your eyebrows wow, move. That's amazing. Yeah, it's totally insane. It's 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 beautiful. Yeah. Wasn't so the cool. short? I think they debuted. Are they or demonstrating a short with uh, it was like Trump and Putin like on the couch? That was done with character animator, wasn't it? I I did, I did not see that, but I would have loved to have seen that. Yeah, yeah. I would I would check that out. Are they making out on the couch? No, I didn't get that far. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised if they got excessively close. I would nice. I would assume so. So what type of what type of people generally gravitate towards being you know in the After Effects motion graphics? Like what? What sort of mind does that take? Because it's kind of completely different than someone that might be good at video editing, per se. Yeah, so it's 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 very interesting. Uh, I break it down into two or three groups, and this is – I apologize to everyone out there listening. Sweeping generalizations. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to make a mass generalization. This episode is brought yeah. to you by sweeping, sweeping generalizations <laughs> and the number 17. <laughs> right, exactly. So uh, there are a number of ways that people get exposed to After Effects, and it's just a question of your biological makeup as to whether or not you get addicted, yeah. uh, to be brutally honest. Uh, so, for example, if you're a video editor, uh, there are a lot of video editors, the first time they launch After Effects are for one of two reasons. The first reason, hey, uh, my client wants me to do a title graphic, and I want it to actually look cool. So I'm going to open After Effects and I'm going to do a whole bunch of whiz-bang cool things, particles and per-character animation and, you know, all kinds of just fun After Effects type stuff, right? So that's fun. That's that's one way of getting into it. But then the other way is the Swiss Army Knife effect where it's literally the Swiss Army Knife to fix anything. So I've got this footage. It's too shaky, right? I tried using Warp Stabilizer and Premiere okay, it seemed to do a good job, but there are some other effects and things inside of After Effects that I might want to use to try and clean this up a little bit more, maybe some of the different retiming effects and things like that after afterwards. So let's say I stabilize it, I retime it, there's like camera shake blur, now there's like a new camera shake de-blur effect that's freaking amazing. That just come out in the latest update? Yeah, yeah, camera shake de-blur, absolutely amazing. 
basically, have you ever um, have you ever stabilized something and then retimed it and then noticed there's like a frame that just has blur from like when the camera yeah. was knocked or whatever? Sure. Yeah. yeah, it'll analyze the frames and then on that one frame you can you can kind of mark it and adjust the de blur effect and it sharpens up the frame. It's Jeez. it's very much like the uh, the camera shake de blur. I mean the camera shake fix in Photoshop. Now it's an After Effects, but it's you know for the individual frames within the uh, within the fix. So they'll come at it from the Swiss Army knife of yeah, I just kind of want to fix everything, and then they'll realize that it's a really kind of cool tool with that. So yeah, video video editors actually do kind of get into it because sometimes when you get sucked into that, then you're like, oh, I could really make this really cool graphic open if I just did instead of animating the title and then bringing it in with an alpha channel in Premiere, why don't I go ahead and bring in like five or 10 video clips and do like flying boxes and Z space and lights and cameras and all that sort of stuff. And then you jump down the rabbit hole of, you know, I spent three days doing motion graphics instead of five days doing video editing. Um, but you know, that's kind of yeah. the industry that we're in right now. So videoers definitely jump in. And then of course you have artists, traditional artists, um, there's, uh, uh, an amazing artist I, I've, I've met over the last couple of years who does, um, uh, experimental pieces, you know, and, uh, basically just wants to be able to move Photoshop elements over time. And that's where after effects comes in because, you know, you make these beautiful things in Photoshop that are all layered and have all kinds of, you know, different paint effects and, you know, transparencies and blurs and, you know, all this really really cool stuff that you can do in photoshop but then it's like hey it would be even more cool if i could make this move so then they just jump into after effects and if you look at it if you're coming at it from photoshop it's nothing but photoshop over time you can you have all the layers you have all of the um all of the blend modes between all the layers you have the ability uh to do masking and then you have keyframing on top of it so yeah i, I think I know this is a really long-winded answer. You can just tell no, me to good. shut up. And no, 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 no. Keep going. Okay, okay. Keep going. Keep rolling. <laughs> All right. Um, so, you know, the mindset that it takes, I, I think it's 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 people that really enjoy the detail and the process. You know, you really have to kind of get into it and just sort of enjoy the process. One of the things that I always enjoyed about motion graphics, and if my clients are listening, I apologize, was was the ability to sit in the room and not have a client over my shoulder. <laughs> you know, it was just amazing. I could sit in the room because it was it was painstaking. You know, if the client would come in the room, they'd sit down. They'd be like, hey, uh, let me show you something. I'm like, OK, um, yeah, here's three seconds. And they're like, well, what is that? And I was like, well, I'm three seconds in. So can <laughs> It's three seconds of animation. If you give me another hour, I might be able to give you another two seconds of animation. Just uh, chill out. And so then they would go to the edit suite or the color correction suite, and they would come back in the afternoon. And to me, that was great. I could turn up, you know, Nine Inch Nails or the Chili Peppers or whatever, and I could just let my mind go crazy and just have fun doing After Effects work. So, like, the creative side of it, um, it was just fun because I could be a real true creative and sort of push the boundaries of what was acceptable. Um, and it was fine to actually, you know, work at a more methodical pace rather than having to like please somebody that's sitting over your shoulder. Not saying I haven't had supervised sessions have, it's just, it's a different mindset in terms of, you know, enjoying the fact that it took four hours to do three seconds of animation. I mean, that's a bit of an exaggeration. I was going to say, is that that normal on those build times? Like, no, 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 no. That's definitely an exaggeration, but depending upon the level of detail of the animation that you're trying to create, you you could spend that amount of time. It just depends on how many layers and the complexity of whatever. It seems laborious. It it can be really laborious. Yeah. So you really have to, like I said, you have to enjoy the process and, um, (laughs) <laughs> there's nothing more frustrating than doing something that's extraordinarily technically challenging. And then when you're done, you show it to someone they're like, Oh, that's cool. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Deflated. Right? <laughs> right. You're like, I don't think you understand how long it took me to cut that person out of the background and make it look like they were actually shot on green screen when they weren't. Right. Yeah. 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 So obviously you, you probably have a few things that you'd like to see be added to after effects like what improvements if you were in charge of r&d what would you add to after effects yeah it's it's funny because um you know uh 
thankfully, I know a lot of the folks at Adobe. So um, uh, <laughs> there's a face behind the name of whatever the product is, right? So whenever I say this sort of thing, like I'm personally thinking of someone I know. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't want to be like, this sucks. But no, it doesn't. Uh, it's amazing. But honestly, I'm always looking for speed. So over the last couple of years, that's what they've been working hard on doing is making sure that things are moving more quickly. So if you notice, while they have had some really cool features added, uh, the biggest takeaways over the last couple of years has been speed. For example, you know, now I could press the space bar. It loads frames into RAM. And as it's playing back in RAM, I can slide keyframes and it'll update as it's playing back. And I can see exactly what's going on. And I know, you know, the, the couple of Apple motion users that are out there, I was a, a motion trainer as well, are going, yeah, we had that for years. But like in After Effects, does, it's, it's just different. Does Apple still develop motion? Or is oh, that yeah. A, yeah. Yeah, still yeah, being definitely. Developed? Yeah. Do you have yeah. a preference over one or the other? Everybody always asks me that. And of course, uh, I came from After Effects. So After Effects is kind of, uh, it's got a warm, fuzzy spot in my heart. Um, but motion, what I like about it is it's, it's creatively freeing in that if I don't have a plan for what it is I'm going to do and I'm not sure what direction I want to go in, motion is actually kind of – it's like the experimental motion graphics experience. Like you can just kind of play something back and be like, oh, yeah, let me see if I change that. And you just drag things and it moves and it updates. It's, it's just a completely different way of working. What I love about After Effects is it's very methodical. It's like keyframe here, keyframe there expression this expression that and you it's very quantifiable like i know if i add a keyframe here and i add a keyframe there what it's going to look like yeah in motion when you're dealing with sliders and things like that you're just pushing sliders and seeing oh so it's more arbitrary yeah 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 yeah. and i mean it's not it's not even arbitrary it's just more it's like free flow thinking in terms of how things work Mm -hmm. Um, which is very frustrating to a lot of After Effects artists because they are used to being extraordinarily precise with what it is that they're doing. So when I keep saying it's a freeing experience, it's, it's, it's also a frustrating experience to some people. And it was frustrating to me when I was first learning it, but you just have to turn off that, that part of your brain and just accept the fact that, you know, hey, sometimes things are different. Have you guys ever painted like watercolor paint or oil paint or anything yeah so like with watercolor right when you paint it and you hope that it's dry and then you have to come back with another stroke and you're like oh it wasn't quite still bleeding (laughs) yeah exactly exactly it's it's a little bit like that like sometimes when you just send things going you're like oh yeah not quite what i thought but sometimes that turns into a happy a happy mistake Mm -hmm. um but yeah, I mean, I kind of have a preference for After Effects just because that's where I came from, and it, and it's um, it's rock solid, and it's by far the industry standard and that sort of thing. But uh, I'm not going to lie, like playing with Apple Motion is a lot of fun. Do you have a recommendation for people that want to get into it? What which one do you think would be an easier task to learn if they're not going to school for it? Yeah, so I get asked that question a lot too. <laughs> um, so it's it's interesting. If you come from the Final Cut world and architecture, uh, learning motion is is definitely an easy step coming from Final Cut. It's integrated extraordinarily well. It has some amazing tools. Uh, and what it does, it does extraordinarily well. If somebody came to me and they were like, hey, look, I want to maybe get into motion graphics. I think this might be a field that I want to explore. I would tell them to take the time and learn After Effects because it is just that, that powerful. Yeah, it's that powerful and it's that much the standard. It really is. I, I can't remember a post house that I've been to where After Effects hasn't been in there. Where Definitely. do you where, where do you think you draw a lot of inspiration to come up with your ideas? Because like when you a lot a lot of what's done in After Effects is just completely from scratch. Yes, as opposed to like a videographer going out and filming something with a certain composition. In many yes. ways, we're all kind of filming the same thing and finding things that already exist in the world to film. Yeah. With you, you're coming up with a lot of things originally. Yes. Like, where do you get inspiration for that? Yeah, actually, uh, I love that you asked that question because uh, one of the things that I teach, I teach a, a title design course, right? People come and they're like, hey, I want to learn title design. I'm like, okay, cool. And I spend, if it, let's say it's an hour and 15 minute lecture, right? The first 40 minutes of the lecture, I'm not even in After Effects. I'm not in anything in terms of what I want to do. I'm talking about the base of creating a common language with you and or your client um, 
so that when you actually do show them something, you're both on the same page and they're just as excited as you are to see it or to show them they're as excited to see it. So what I mean by that is the, the inspiration for me comes from the collaboration with my client. So I know that sounds like a very in the box answer, but, but honestly, um, part of your job as a motion or, or any kind of visual designer, if you're hired by a client is to, to help them execute their vision. And I know if they're coming to you for your vision, you know, they're paying good money for you to have your vision, but it's always a good idea to check in with them in case they have a vision. You want to make sure that you can help them realize that. Right. So when I sit down and have a creative conversation with a lot of those clients, uh, what I try and do is build a common language about whatever it is that we're going to create. So for example, this is getting more towards your question about, um, editors have things that they're starting with. There's already video. Yeah. You just cut the video together. When you've got a blank canvas, where do you start? Right? So I start with a question. So for example, like if you want to create a title open for a new web series, right? I would say to you, you know, what, what kind of a web series is it? And you would give me a topic, right? And then I would say, okay, well, do you have any thoughts about what it wants to look like? And most people would say, yeah, make it look cool. Comic Sans. Yeah. Comic Number Sans. Number one. Star Wipe, Comic Sans. <laughs> Star Wipe, Comic Sans. Yeah. <laughs> but usually uh, the next question is, okay, well, what's cool to you, right? And so a lot of times clients will go, well, I don't know. I don't know. And I go, right. Yeah. So let's don't know what they want. Right. And so you go, okay, let's figure that out. Right. And so a lot of any design, and I, I feel this way about photography, video, any of that sort of stuff is, is the connection with whoever it is. Like if you're an artist, you're trying to build a connection with the person that's viewing the art. Right. Well, as a designer, if I'm trying to create a vision, I want to connect with my client to create that vision, whatever that is. So if if we were working on a web series, right, I would say something like, well, if it were a car, what kind of car would it be? So just, you know, if it were a car, what would 64 it be? 64 and a half Mustang. A 64 and a half Mustang. Okay. All right. So is it a convertible Mustang? Nope. Okay. Is it like the bullet Mustang? Nope. Nope. It's a 260 white Mustang. Sounds slow like you one. had one. That was, a 260 white. It was a V6. It was a V6. That was my yeah. first car. <laughs> nice. All right. All right. So a cool car, but not necessarily like a Shelby 350. No. Right? Yeah. Okay. So immediately, you know, when you're saying that, I'm thinking to myself, it's going to be definitely stylized, something that isn't like a Honda Accord going down the street. It's going to be something. What do you that, got against Honda Accords? <laughs> absolutely nothing. That was like my third car after that in college. <laughs> car got like 50 miles to the gallon. It was awesome. I know. It was purple. Had a, big, had a big dent in the back because I backed into someone. You had a purple car? My sister gave it to me. Yeah. Honda Accord. Was it Get Prince out. What? Get out. That's oh, wait. Amazing. No, no, no. I take it back. It was a Honda Civic. Yes, oh, yeah. I had a Honda Civic. Yeah, I just said so, it. Right, no, yeah. yes. All right, screw the Honda Accord. Yeah, total nerd car. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But to, to get back to the Mustang analogy, right? Like, that's a very clear, distinct visualization, right? So, okay, if it's this 64 Mustang, then I'm thinking it's going to be kind of this classic vintage Americana feel. That's a very distinct feel. And if you were like, yeah, okay, that's that's the feel – then I would go out and I would try and create mood boards that go with that. So a mood board, I'm sure you guys do this in photography oh, yeah, as well. Sure. Yeah, you just go out wherever and find things that are cool, that kind of match the style that you're going for. Download a whole bunch of them together. There's a wonderful script in Photoshop. You can open everything to layers and then, you know, everything's distributed beautifully in all the layers. And you look at that. And honestly, I'm a fan of printing it and putting it on the wall. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then you can actually see it. And I'm talking as though I created this whole process and idea. I didn't. This has been around forever. Um, one of uh, the biggest influences I, I had in my creative career was a creative director that uh, I served under at Discovery named Dale Graham. And Dale was very much into this whole process. And he talked to us about the like how to build a connection thing and create visuals that match things that people are looking for. And then the mood board type of thing. So once you actually have that mood board, then you have a very clear visual. And if you send that off to the client, they go, yes, this is it. That's great. Um, they could look at it and go, no, not at all. For example, if uh, I was working on a project recently and, and uh, I said, if it were a rock 
rock and roll guy who would it be? And they were like, Jack Black. And I was like, awesome. So I went and I downloaded all the stuff because, you know, Jack Black's pretty cool. What right? sort of font is Jack Black? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends. <laughs> it depends. I, I would say copper plate. Yeah, copper plate. Nice, <laughs> nice. So, uh, but but here was the thing, right? We said Jack Black and I looked at it and I was like, okay, cool. Well, one of his more recent albums, everything was blue and white. Right. And the white stripes, when they first got started, what were they known with? Red and white. Yeah. Right. Blue and white's completely different feel than red and white. But but I, were we talking about Jack Black or Jack White? Jack White. Jack Did White. I say Jack Black? Jack, Jack, Black. Jack Black. Oh, God. Also a musician. Also a musician. I take it back. Yeah. Jack White yes. is not copper plate. I take that back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're going to rethink I that one. I can't believe I said Jack Black instead yeah. of Jack White. No, no. They're, I it's love confusing. Jack Black, too. They're, yes. It's, yes. They're. <laughs> They're, they're yeah. very different. By 255 points, they're, <laughs> they're different. That's all, all that's, the difference. Yeah. Yes. All right, so Jack yes. White. Now Jack I'm White. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, I apologize. So, yeah, uh, in his more recent releases, he had uh, he has a very cool blue and white feel, which is a really soft kind of calm feel. Whereas, you know, when the White Stripes came out, it was like electric red and white. Yeah. That's a totally different feel. So, of course, I put half of the board with the red and white, black leather, gritty rock and roll feel. And then I did the other half of the board with this kind of blue and white, more mod laid back kind of cool feel. And then, you know, I sent it off and I was like, what do you think? And they immediately saw the difference and were like, yeah, no, not the blue thing, the red thing. And I was like, okay, cool. And then kind of go from there. But yeah, it's all about creating a common visual language based yeah. on whatever inspires not only you, but your client. So as long as you can do that, then you have a base to move forward. Because then once they said red and white, then I know exactly what I'm looking for in terms of textures, colors, fonts, all that sort of thing. It seems very similar to the branding process. You know, it's like really looking and understanding the brand, knowing what, what the message is and creating the visuals around that. It, exact, it, it exactly is. That's it. Yeah. And if you don't have time, you know, to have all these conversations, basically, you just look at whatever the spec of the work is and you download images for the mood board and you send that off as fast as humanly possible. I try and send off mood boards with other, you know, other images as fast as possible because I don't want the client thinking I'm wasting money going down this road of creating stills or a graphic for something that's not at all what they're looking for. So I might as well, you know, the internet has a ton of different things. We're not distributing it. We're not printing it. It's just, you know, I mean, we're not printing it for distribution. I print it sticking right, on the it's wall. Just yeah, yeah, exactly. That's it. So, yeah. How much time have you spent studying fonts and just like what fonts mean and like going like down the rabbit hole of fonts? Cause like, Steve Jobs was just obsessed and like studied fonts. And like, that was one of the, the things that you got with an Apple computer was like mm -hmm. a whole wide array of fonts. that you It's because most art directors and, and creative directors are totally obsessed with fonts. Yeah. Type I, is everything. You got a type problem? Yeah, I do. I definitely do. <laughs> how, does, so, how does someone learn that? Uh, it, it just takes, it just takes a little while. You just got to play and, and look. I mean, there are quote unquote rules that a lot of people have in terms of, um, how you align type, uh, you know, for me, I, I teach a lot of type design and layout and things like that in title design courses and that sort of stuff. Um, and a lot of it just has to do with following the rule of like square design and squares and things like that with, with typefaces. You know, if you look at the side of one of these bottles, you know, you can see how the text is just aligned one after the other. So you can actually create boxes and squares and shapes and things like that. But whether you're talking about like serif or sans serif or slab serif or things like that, um, that gets into stylistic choices in terms of what you're trying to say with the brand. So the, the, if you're looking for like a takeaway, <laughs> the easiest thing is if you're going for something that's modern, I would do sans serif. And if you're looking for something traditional, then I would do serif. And I know that's a way oversimplification. You're doing those sweeping generalizations yes, again. Yes, exactly. exactly. Right, what's your favorite Helvetica? <laughs> Helvetica new, definitely yeah. new. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm really into slab serif fonts right now because I feel like they dance the line between traditional and modern. Not like too heavy, bold ones, but just they look sans serif, but they're serifed. So it's it's kind of a fun a fun thing. So I sort of enjoy that. 
I also make jokes that's kind of like the hipster typeface because it got real popular <laughs> for a couple of years ago. Um, so, yeah. So <laughs> you worked, uh, you mentioned working for Discovery. Yes. Uh, can we talk, let's talk about that a little bit. What, what is that like? You're a creative director there? Uh, I was an art director. Art director. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, I was an art director. There. So, what, so what's that like? What, what, what was, was your day to day? It was amazing. Honestly, I'm, I'm not just saying that I loved working for the company. Um, but it's working. It, it was very similar to working for any other large corporation. Um, you're as tight as the team that you work with. So thankfully I was really lucky. Again, I, I use that word a lot. Lucky. Um, I really was, I was really lucky to work with a bunch of people that I actually really enjoyed working with. So, um, the creative director, Dale, who I, who I was working for at the time, worked really hard to make sure that we actually had a creative space for all of our motion designers to get together. So in the middle of our room, we had this round table that everybody could kind of sit around and we would have basically creative discussions about all the jobs that were coming in and we would show each other designs and things like that um, in the morning and then in the afternoon, depending upon whatever the workflow was that it was. But basically there were a team of designers. And so it was sort of like a circular function in terms of, there's this middle table with chairs around it. And then around the outside of that, we had workstations and every workstation thankfully had a broadcast monitor. So, you know, as you're designing, you actually saw it on a broadcast monitor, not a computer monitor, uh, which was nice. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just a, a very team oriented atmosphere. So uh, if I was in charge of a project, even, you know, if I had the final say, I would still look at the other designers and go, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? And we would sort of feed off of each other for things. Um, in terms of their productions, they have internal productions and they had external productions. So uh, I worked a lot on the internal productions, which still were a lot of the television shows that you see regularly. You know, we would maybe help with some of the promos or maybe some of the in-show graphics like map animations and titles and things like that. But um, Sometimes we would be pitching against jobs that, you know, could potentially go out of house to, you know, any of the awesome motion graphics places in New York or L.A. or Miami or D.C. or, you know, pretty much anywhere now. They're kind of popping up all over the place. There are really talented people out there. So, um, yeah, we would have to pitch just like other people would pitch to actually get the gig. And then if we got the gig, we would execute it and deliver just like any other agency that was external to the group. Um and it was a fascinating place because it's not just Discovery. You know, it's Discovery, Animal Planet, TLC. You know, they have a whole host of different networks. So, Did you guys get along with TLC? <laughs> you can be honest. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they they did move their headquarters from uh, from Maryland out to Los Angeles for quite a while. Um, so that happened when I was there. But I think they've moved a bunch of those people back. They, I mean, they always have it. On I gotta imagine the Discovery anyway, right? and TLC two completely different teams, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The content was definitely different content for each thing. Yeah, but you know, TLC, the essence of it was the learning channel. Yeah. So yeah. you know, with a lot of the reality stuff, I thought it was tender, I, loving I care. Was no, 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 yeah. no. Carrie <laughs> <laughs> Martin. Rob looks at me like I'm being serious. <laughs> All right, so. What, what's your opinion? Do you think in today's age of, of you can learn everything anywhere on your phone in your hand, do you think people need to go to school for design? Or is that something if you're super motivated, you can pick it up on your own? Okay. That's another loaded question. It's I'm seeing so faces. I'm seeing faces. <laughs> I'm, I'm seeing all my friends. We'll, we'll that call actually... this one the baked potato. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's so loaded. Yes, totally. It is very loaded. <laughs> I'm seeing faces of all my friends that actually teach at universities and things like that. Um, so, uh, this one's Rob on a Friday night, super loaded. <laughs> That's yeah. Very nice. Uh, yeah. So, okay. Ian's beat red right now. I, he's I he's totally electric red. Jack White yeah. red right now. <laughs> Definitely Jack White red. Not Jack yes. Black red. No, we know that. <laughs> Still can't believe I said that. All right. Um, so, yeah, basically, if you're motivated to learn anything, yes, you can pick it up. Does that mean there's no value in going to university? No. I mean, when you go to a structured learning environment, there is value in that. I, I do still heavily believe in the fact that if you go to a university and you dedicate yourself to that, 
then yeah, you can succeed, but you don't have to No. Yeah. Um, especially with the online learning tools. I mean, honestly, part of the way, uh, part of the reason I, I was so excited when I taught my first course on lynda.com was because I was addicted to lynda.com. Like I would at work, if it was lunchtime, I wasn't talking to other people. I was on Linda learning the next tutorial. It, it was just, it was just a thing. I loved it. I was addicted to it. And that was that. So I learned a ton of stuff online. Uh, yes, I wouldn't trade my university experience for anything because there's a lot of processes that I went through, um, you know, that I still apply on a regular basis today. But uh, I, I honestly think now the online th the online learning situation is almost essential, um, not only to learn the basic skills you need to get started, but to just stay up to date and pertinent now wow. as a working professional. So even if you did go to a university or, or, you know, some specific school, like I, I, you should still be going online and, and taking courses. And I know, you know, obviously I'm partial because I have a ton of courses on Linda and LinkedIn, but, but truly part of the reason I do that is because I, I, that's how I learned a whole bunch of stuff. All right. So let's say I'm going to university and now it's time for me to declare my major. And, uh, one person is telling me, business the other one's saying no oh, just do art well, what 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 do you think you're better off learning in a in an environment like that yeah so uh honestly my answer to almost everything is do both <laughs> i would say uh, if you're going to be an art major be a business minor uh to, to be totally honest, I think there are a lot of amazingly talented artists that have their own businesses now that if they actually had some type of business experience on the university level, they, they could take their businesses to a whole different level. Um, so I would I would say both. Um, the beauty of art is is the fact that it's I hate to keep using the term freeing, but it really just allows you to express yourself and then. You know, if you're going to be doing it anyway, you might as well get paid for it. And uh, I know most of my friends that are artists, even if they did go to school for other stuff, they still end up becoming artists because you can't yep. deny what you're supposed to be. Right. It's, a, it's a, in you. There's no way to avoid it. Yeah. I, I had a really amazing conversation last night with uh, an amazingly uh, talented instructor online, Chris Doe. I don't know if you've ever seen a bunch of his stuff, but his stuff is amazing. And he was just basically saying like – you, yeah, you shouldn't deny who you are and basically um, do what you do. And if, if you're following your dreams, you'll, you'll execute as long as you're serious and you go through it and, you know, you're inspired. So yeah. if you're inspired to be an artist, be an artist, but don't kid yourself. The business side of things is extraordinarily helpful on, on any level. Yeah. So, cool. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Hey, you've got your own company now, right? Yes. Softbox Media. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, that was a learning process. You know, like I said, I got laid off, and uh, the reason I ended up uh, ended up starting my company was my friend had recommended an accountant for me, and I was doing everything under my social security. And my accountant looked at me and was like, "Dude, why didn't you come to me?" It's <laughs> like, "What do you mean?" He was like. If you would have just incorporated, I could have saved you a lot of money. money. Yeah, yeah, because all these expenses that you had and all these other all these other things, you know, being self-employed and that sort of stuff, it's it's a different it's a different method of taxation as opposed to yeah. you know, in the US if you're a corporation, there's there's different ways to amortize things and account for things. So then I was like, okay, so I created the corporation and then I was like, great, what do I do with this? You know, and it, it took me a little while. I had, to, I had to talk to a bunch of friends that had already done it before, and uh, there was no legal Zoom at the time, so it, it was a little bit more of a process. Nice. Yeah. I like legal Zoom. Legal Zoom is amazing. That's an amazing resource. Totally. Yes. I can't recommend them enough, yeah, honestly. Yeah. They're good. So what's next for you? What are you, what are you looking forward to this year? Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's uh, – that's another good question. <laughs> no, to be brutally honest, I'm I'm uh, very excited about uh, starting a new company. It's called Creative One Eleven. I'm I've partnered with uh, another amazing uh, editor and motion graphics instructor, Nick Haraz. and uh, yeah, we're we're launching that. And and um, in addition to actually teaching the motion graphics and video side of stuff, we want to talk about the bigger picture of life and not 
you know, the cliche, like work life balance, but really talk about like what it means to be creative and, and have a whole life in addition to just focusing on the tools and locking yourself in a room and making something absolutely amazing. That's all well and good. But like, if your wife hates you or you're not married <laughs> or whatever, that's not good. Right. You know, so there's, there's all these other things that come into life that you have to kind of balance. And I think our industry is kind of ripe for people to talk more about those, those sorts of things. So yeah, that's what's, that's what's next. So that's your own educational platform. In many ways, and yeah, it, definitely. It goes to eleven. This one, <laughs> yeah. This one go goes to, to, and this one goes to one eleven. This one goes yeah. to one eleven. One hundred and eleven, mate. <laughs> yes, that's all the elevens. <laughs> that is it's not all the elevens. We could have one thousand one hundred and eleven. Yeah, stop it. Keep going. Stop it. The numbers yeah. work that way, Rob. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we're still going to be uh, delivering content through. Uh, LinkedIn and, and Linda and all that sort of stuff. It's just more of a platform where I can have a more direct conversation about, about all different kinds of things. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of, that's exciting. That's, that's big. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a little terrifying. I feel like I'm standing at the top of the high dive right now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's, that's also a really good feeling. Cause you know, once you actually jump in, then you're like, Hey, that was great. And yeah. then you're running back up the ladder again. It's refreshing. So, yeah, totally. Awesome. Totally. Well, that's exciting. Good luck with that. Thank you. Thank yeah. you guys so much. Thank you for coming out and taking time. I know it's a busy week, so we do appreciate it. Well, I really appreciate you reaching out because yeah. you guys are really cool. I love the stuff that you've been doing. So I, Thank I you. really, Thank you. yeah, I really, I can't wait. We're having fun with it. Yeah. yeah. What's, what's next for you? Can I, can I turn that around? <sighs> well, everything. <laughs> we're just going to keep doing more post-production only. And then also um, another type of tutorial we do is, a really in-depth look on a photographer's process. So Sweet. We have two kind of tiers. Um, the one that's just post-production on one specific thing and one kind of genre. And then um, we do these in-depth looks at like everything in pre-production. And then we go into production and then post-production. They're all done on location. Uh, so we're not just confined to a studio or a classroom setting with presentations that we think can get kind of dry and kind of boring. So, yep. you know, whether we're going to Brazil or Papua New Guinea or all over the United States nice. or anywhere in the world, we, we really want to show... In, an actual look of what a photographer goes through and to build that connection of being right there, whether it's a first assistant or a PA and that, that photographer just teaches right to you. Yeah. So, well, uh, now are they, are they going to teach right to you in the process while they're still trying to get the shot? Yeah. And that's, yeah. That's, like, that's one of the really challenging things for the photographers is we're working with them, you know, cause we're, we're seeing them in action, but mm -hmm. we're also teaching yeah. this curriculum, um, and yeah, they're right in the middle of it, so it's it's a lot of work. It's a trick for the. It's for hard the to be creative and think about the process of what you're doing because, like, so much of what you do as a creative, you might not even know why you do it. So it's kind of funny seeing that process of like finding some of these uh, uh, photographers that may or may not have taught a lot, like kind of like really break down what they're doing. And be like, wow, I don't. I have to think like. I don't know exactly why I'm doing this. Let me think about that. Yeah, it's hard for them to articulate exactly <laughs> yeah. why they do what they do. Sure. Because so much of it becomes second nature. Uh, it's, you know, the camera and so many of the lighting features are just extensions of the photographer's hand. They don't even think about it. They yep. just move to do it. Yep. Uh, I think actually they learn a lot working with us because it does make them think about the process. They have to break it down uh, and be able to put it into words. And I, it, I think that uh, very often they're like, wow, it's kind of a cool look at what I do. You yeah, know? totally. That's got to be amazing. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah, we love it. Well, I can't wait to check it out. That's yeah, going to be really we'll, cool. We'll send you one. All right, please. Yeah. That would be amazing. <laughs> and then uh, lastly, as someone who's done a lot of political commercials, can you say, I mean, Robinson, I approve this message? <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> All right, here we go. I am Ian Robinson, and I approve this message. I'm going to abuse that so hard. <laughs> <laughs> Shouldn't have fallen for that. Oh, I can't believe you actually did that, Ian. I've done it too. Yeah, yeah. No, it's safe. It's safe. Uh, <laughs> now, now I'm definitely more red. We actually yes. have enough. <laughs> we, we actually have enough information that now Adobe's program can now recreate that, which is still crazy. Have you seen that? No. Yeah. What is the, this? Oh, the deep learning stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. That's pretty rad. It's my brain. To download this episode and the rest of the season. You know where to go. It's rdgedupodcast.com. Stitcher. SoundCloud. SoundCloud. iTunes. Damn, you beat me to all of them except MySpace. <laughs> not the Google machine. They're not the Google. <laughs> We're on all those platforms. All right. Nice. 
I don't do client work anymore. They're too fucking needy. Fuck the budget and fuck the bloody selects. Every client I've ever worked with was a and Rob and Gary are a couple of This podcast is brought to you by Sakonic, where being a creative comes from removing the guesswork. Understanding light is a tricky business. That's why Sakonic light meters are the perfect solution for any photographer wanting to get more from their studio lights. Light meters are more than just a measurement tool. They are a gateway to understanding how to shape light and to use it to create beautiful images consistently. Head to Sakonic.com to see how a light meter can help you stop all the guesswork.